How many are dealing with something today? Three of you. Oh, that's amazing. Gosh, I might as well go home and the three of you stay and we'll meet, okay? The rest of the people have it made. Actually, we'll have an altar call because you just told a lie. We all have a problem every day that we deal with because guess what? This is flesh and blood. Guess what? This is humanity. And Jesus realizes our humanity. Maybe this series is all about our humanity. We're continuing on in our sermon series that's going to take us up through Easter, where we're talking about the seven last statements that Jesus made while he's dying on the cross. Today we're going to be looking at the fourth statement, and it has everything to do with being forsaken, being alone. I heard something that was really surprising. I read a story about a leading psychotherapist that said after 25 years of dealing with all of his patients, he found out that the leading fear that people have, it's not uh, dying, it's not death, it's not uh, fear of terrorism or terrorist, it's not fear of having financial troubles in your life. The greatest fear that people have, believe it or not, is the fear of loneliness. The fear of being alone, ultimate loneliness. Matter of fact, think about it. One of the worst things you can do to a prisoner in prison is to put them in what? Solitary confinement. Imagine being in solitary confinement in a cell the size of a small bathroom, no windows, uh, lights on, fluorescent lights burning 24 hours a day. Under 24-hour surveillance, they can see you, you can't see them. 24 hours a day in that cell all by yourself. Maybe that's why prisoners in isolation only account for 5% of the total prison population, but they account for over half of the suicides. That's how powerful, and I'll just say destructive, loneliness can be. I want to say this, on the cross, Jesus Christ took loneliness and isolation and solitary confinement to a whole other level that no human being should ever have to suffer, no human being should ever have to experience. We're going to jump right in with Scripture. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start with verses 45 and 46 in a little bit. If you don't, we've got the Scriptures on the screen today. But I want you to get a mental picture. In this series, we've talked about Jesus hanging on the cross. Do you realize Jesus hung on that cross for approximately six hours? Some uh, filmmakers portray Jesus as being up there uh, for just a few minutes, and it was over. It wasn't like that at all. It actually began at 9 o'clock in the morning and wrapped up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on that Good Friday. Good Friday when Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to the wooden beams of that cross. And When it comes to these seven statements that we've been looking at, he spoke three of these statements early on in the crucifixion ordeal, but the last four, it seems like he waits till almost the end of the crucifixion and says them almost all uh, in a row. Uh, so today, as I said, we're going to be in Matthew 27, starting with verses 45 and 46. And we're going to hear those words that Jesus made as his fourth statement. It says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. 
The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. I want you to break it down and think about just three of those words this morning. My God, why? My God, why? How many of us have ever asked that question? Every one of us at some time or another and many times in our lives probably we've asked that question to God especially, why? The couple that's lost a newborn baby, they're going to be asking why. The parent that has to watch their child or watches their child die of cancer is asking why. That mother of four that's working a minimum wage job trying to raise her family after her husband walks out has to be asking why. Maybe the faithful employee of a factory goes in after 25 years of faithful service to the factory and they hand him a, hand him a pink slip uh, without any severance, without any pension plan. What I'm saying is, I don't care who you are today, we've all got those times in our lives, we all have those times in our lives when we ask, why? Do you realize that even Mother Teresa asked why? I read an article about Mother Teresa. Ten years after she died, a friend of hers published some of her writings, some of her letters. She called it, Come Be My Light. It became a bestseller. The book actually revealed, and was surprising to me, how so many times Mother Teresa... Mother Teresa didn't feel like God's presence was with her in her life. She was going through a spiritual experience that a lot of saints go through. It's called a dark night of the soul, you might say. A dark night of the soul it just means that as a believer, sometimes there are going to be times when you feel separated from God. You feel like he's a million miles away when he really isn't. It's kind of a spiritual depression, you might say, with a huge component of loneliness. Shortly after Mother Teresa began her work, helping the sick and the dying in Calcutta. She began to sense the absence of Jesus in her life. Her term for her feelings of loneliness and abandonment was darkness. She described that time in her life as intensely painful. Matter of fact, this is what she wrote. Listen to Mother Teresa's words. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. And then it is that I feel He doesn't want me. He's not there. The torture and the pain I can't explain. Church, let me ask you, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that way? Even Mother Teresa felt that way. I know I have. And it hurts to think when you're wanting more of God, sometimes you're getting less of God. Eventually, a spiritual... Uh, leader came to Mother Teresa, Teresa and convinced her that these senses and times of abandonment were really to her benefit. God actually allowed those times in her life to actually equip her to better serve the people of Calcutta, the hurting and the dying people of Calcutta, India. It also helped her to identify her sense of pain and abandonment with Jesus' suffering on the cross. All this helped her to accept that darkness. It helped her to realize the darkness. God had a plan even in the darkness. And God had a plan for that darkness. And it helped her to realize God was with her. And she kept going in spite of the darkness. Kept going in her faithfulness to God. So I'm just saying if Jesus and Mother Teresa went through that, why not you? Why not me? If they went through it, why not us? Um, I believe Easter is actual proof that we can know that God is with us even when he doesn't seem like he's with us. Easter is proof that God is with us even when it seems like he's a million miles away. 
Last week we talked about Jesus caring for his mother as he died on the cross. Remember, he wanted to make sure in his last breath that she was not left abandoned. Remember that? He cared for his mother on the cross, and I think it's kind of ironic. While he was making sure his mother wasn't abandoned, guess what? He was being abandoned by his heavenly Father. And what's interesting about this whole thing, the last half of that six-hour period of Jesus' suffering was marked with something I believe that symbolized how Jesus was feeling deep down on the inside. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. No one could have taken him unless he allowed them. He allowed himself to be arrested. And Jesus said this was going to be a time, a moment of darkness like never before. It was going to be a time where darkness would reign. These words literally came true. Look at verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now, was this a heavy fog that rolled in? Was it a heavy cloud cover? Was it a solar eclipse? Was it some supernatural phenomenon? Regardless of what it is and what caused it, I believe the sun, moon, and stars were not visible. They were not shining. I believe it was as if the light of the world had gone out. I don't know if you can imagine that for a moment, but think of every source of light going out all at once. I imagine those Roman soldiers went into a panic, scrambling for the torches to try to find uh, torches where they could light so they could see uh, to finish their torturous duties. I, be I believe they couldn't see their hand in front of their face. It was so dark. But in fact, I would say that that darkness is the darkness this world had never seen except way back in the beginning in the book of Genesis. Remember what the book of Genesis said? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth. It was dark. But here's the thing. The darkness that was happening in this moment that covered the land, I believe it was actually portraying what was going on in Jesus' spirit. There was darkness going on in his heart. I believe the Son of God felt like the S-U-N of God's favor had been eclipsed by the sins of the world. Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you realize that wasn't the first time those words were spoken? They were actually spoken a thousand years over prophetically in the book of Matthew, chapter, book of Psalms, chapter 22, starting with verse 1. And it all expresses a thousand years before it happened, and I can't understand how anybody can argue with the Bible when you've got a prophecy here and it's fulfilled here, a prophecy and a fulfillment Time and time again, they'll still argue. But listen to his words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Skip down to verse 17. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. If you were here last week, we talked a little bit about that. But I believe when this darkness fell like never before, I believe that all the mockers stopped mocking. I believe that all the insults stopped flying. I don't know how you read this gospel account, but I can just see these people that were throwing insults at Jesus were frozen in their tracks in fear by this pitch blackness in the middle of the day. That wasn't the ordinary. Amen? It was something super ordinary. I mean, I can imagine these people standing there terrified in fear for those three hours until Jesus uttered that fourth saying on the cross. And I want you to picture this. Picture yourself if we turned out every light in here, shut every door, covered every little window so that there was zero light in here. Picture that moment. 
you being in that crowd of mockers, insulters, that stopped their insulting that moment, picture yourself hearing what was going on. All you could hear through that pitch blackness were the moans of Jesus and the two thieves beside him moaning in agony, struggling for every breath they were trying to take. Imagine the sound of their bodies pushing up and down off of that, that foot peg, trying to catch their next breath. And through that darkness, that silence, where no one dared say a word, all they could do was stand there and listen to these three men that were dying. It would have been an eerie sound, an eerie quietness, an eerie, scary sound. Then suddenly at three o'clock, out of the depths of the darkness, came the anguished voice of the Son of God. Most biblical films portray Jesus as being so weak at this point that he barely whispers it out of his mouth. He barely whispers it out. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible actually says that Jesus' fourth cry from the cross was a thundering cry from the cross. Look at verse 46. It says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, not a whisper, with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud voice, not a whisper. With everything from within him came that cry, forsaken by God. I have to wonder, God, how can that be? How can that happen? I can understand how Peter might forsake God. He was only a human being, and he did for a while. I can imagine how his disciples, as they hid in the upper room behind locked doors, hiding while Jesus was being crucified, could forsake Jesus because they were only human. But what I've always had a real problem was with, how, was with how Jesus could be forsaken by his heavenly Father in the moment where he needed him the most. Before that, he had always had a connection with, Jesus, with God the Father. Always had a connection. But in this moment, it seemed like his call got dropped. In this moment, that connection was broken. And by the way, this is the only time that Jesus ever addressed God as my God. Every other time in the Gospels, every other time in the Bible he addressed God, it was with one word, Father. You have to wonder why he did that. I believe it's because he's not talking to God from the standpoint of a son. He's talking to God from the standpoint of a sinner. And it would seem like the world, it would seem like God's wrath had been poured out upon Jesus. And it was pretty evident that Jesus had been totally separated from the Father. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River and this voice thundered out of heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Well, now you've got Jesus hanging on the cross, dying on the cross, doing the complete will of God. And it seems like the father had turned his back on the son. But with that said, I'm sure the greatest pain that Jesus was experiencing through that crucifixion was not the nails, was not the crown of thorns, was not the asphyxiation, was not the whips and the beating. As awful as those things were, I would say the most grievous aspect of the crucifixion for Jesus was knowing that he was being separated from his eternal heavenly Father. That grieves Jesus' heart more than anything else. Think about Jesus. Think about when God looked down at his son. He didn't see his son. He saw every sinner that had ever lived. He didn't see his son. He saw every sin that had ever been committed. And God had to turn his back on his own son because of that sin. Listen to what it says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. 
It says, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrong. When Jesus became sin, do you realize he literally became hatred, murder, adultery, rape, jealousy, lying, cheating, stealing? When Jesus became all of these things, God's eyes were too pure to look on that sin, and he had to turn away. Do you realize that that moment Jesus became the only human being in all of history, all of history, that was ever totally alone without the presence of God? You may have, have, time, you may have had times, and we have, where you feel awfully lonely. Let me tell you, you weren't totally alone. God was with you. His presence was with you regardless. But not for Jesus. In that moment, he was totally alone. He was in eternal, solitary confinement for a moment. For the first time in all of history, in the eons of eons of time, God turned his back on his son. God had to turn his back on his own son because God is a holy God. And he cannot look on sin. And Jesus had become the sin of the world. Jesus had become sin for us. So this morning, you might feel abandoned by God. You might feel forsaken by God. I can argue and say you're not. You're not because if you were, you wouldn't be here. You would be dead and gone. If you're still alive, God's not done with you. He's the one keeping your heart beating. He's the one keeping your lungs breathing. He's the one that's keeping you alive. So I think in our times of utter loneliness, we need to stop and realize that when we pray and God seems a million miles away, we need to realize three things are still true. Number one, if you're taking notes, he's always there. He is always there regardless of what's going on in your life. You remember when Jesus came to this earth, he was given a name. God said, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Guess what that means? God with us. It does not mean God bailed on us. It means God is with us. He is with us. So I believe God the Father, without a doubt, had to leave his son brutalized, bleeding, and dying on that cross to pay the full penalty for our sins. Jesus took that separation between us and God so we wouldn't have to. He took that separation. Listen to what it says on the night before Jesus died. He said this to his disciples. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that he was sending. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you, be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. I believe we need to get this in our hearts today. God is with you. God is with me regardless of what you're dealing with, what you're going through. And I bet every one of us could look back and there are countless times in our lives where we were going through something we didn't want to be going through, but God was there. He was with you through that divorce. He was with you through the bankruptcy. He was with you through that failure, that betrayal, that loneliness. Oh, I've had friends and you have too that have walked out on you, that have left you. God's never been one of those friends. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He makes you and me a promise. So I know with that comforting thought and faith in me to know that he's with me regardless of what I'm dealing with, I want you to have that same kind of faith today to believe that he's with you as well. The second thing, if you're taking notes, you know it's not wrong to ask, why God? I'm glad this is in the seven last statements of what Jesus said from the cross because it's so important. As a pastor, I have heard many, many, many people ask that question, why? 
And I have to be honest, I've asked that question a lot of times myself. Some people think it's a sin to ask God why. You think you're failing God. You think he can't understand our fear or our confusion or our hurt. Let me give you some great news. God can answer the when. God can answer those uh, why questions. God can answer those. He's got the answer to every why in our life. History might answer the when questions, but only God can answer the why. So just remember, the next time you run into a why question in your life, don't let it push you away from God. Let it pull you, your heart to God. Don't let it push you away, but let it draw your heart to God. The third thing is, the pain is only part of the story. The pain is only start, part of the story. Some of you parents can identify with me on this one. I remember when my son Austin was a little guy, one year old, we had to take him back to the doctor for his one-year checkup. And Cheryl and I knew that he was going to get some shots. He was going to be poked by a needle for some vaccinations. I hated the thought of that. She hated the thought of that. And sure enough, and I have, it broke my heart to see Austin sit there and them have to poke those needles into his arm or into his rump and take that shot. And him look up at me with those big tears in his eyes, reaching for me, crying and screaming like, Daddy, rescue me. And Daddy wanted to rescue him. Dad wanted to pick him up, take him out of there, tell the doctors to knock it off. I'm taking him home. <laughs> I wanted to do that. I also wanted to explain to him in the best way I possibly could that the pain you're going through for this moment is for a greater good in the future, for a benefit in the future. But as hard as I would have tried, a little 12-month-old was never going to understand that. He was scared. He was in pain. But that was only part of the story. The rest of the story was that that moment of pain was going to lead to a benefit later on in his health, in his life. I said all that to say Jesus was kind of like that on the cross. He was alone. He was isolated. He was rejected, abandoned. But that was just part of his story. Just part of the story. Remember the disciples that followed Jesus in ministry solidly for those three years. I believe when they saw Jesus, all of a sudden, be betrayed, be beaten, be nailed to a cross, die on a cross, be taken down from the cross, put in a tomb. I believe they're thinking, well, wait a minute. We gave up everything for this guy. We gave up our homes. We gave up our families. We gave up our jobs. We gave up our possessions. We honored this guy. We followed this guy. We did everything he told us to do, and now he's dying? I'm imagining them saying, this story cannot end this way. Did we do all this for nothing? I would say no. They did all that for a whole lot of something. That was just part of the story. Just part of the story. Because of that rejection, because of that betrayal, there was a cross. And because of that blood-stained cross, there was a grave. And because of that grave... There was a stone that was rolled away from that grave that revealed to the world that Jesus wasn't in that grave anymore. He had risen and he was alive. And he's ready to step into your problem. He's ready to step into your issue right now. He died for the salvation of this world, for the sins of this world. Our problem is we only see part of the story. Let me say in the middle of your pain today, we've got to realize that it is only part of the story. That God's perspective is the one that really counts. Doesn't the Bible say His ways are not our ways? His ways are higher than our ways. His understanding is higher than our ways. So without a doubt, His infinite wisdom is so much greater, so much higher than our little bitty finite wisdom that we have. Our problem is we only see part of the story, and it's our part. We see our part, and we forget about the part of God that's so much bigger. That's why I like what Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. 
He's actually showing us that on this side of eternity, we're not going to see the whole story. It's a fact. Look what he says in verse 9. For we know in part, what's that saying? We don't know the whole story. We only know part of the story. And we prophesy in part. If I jump down to verse 12, it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What that means. What that means, it might be really unclear right now. But one day we're going to see. We might not know the answer to the whys, but guess what? I know the who that knows the whys. I know the who that knows every answer to every why that I, that I will ever face in my life, that you will ever face in your life. So today, if you feel ignored, you feel rejected, you feel alone, the good news, Jesus has already been there, done that. He's already went through that. He's already felt that. And today, without a doubt, he knows exactly where you are. Because he's already been there. He's already experienced that. And guess what? He's right there beside you today. Actually, he's closer than that. That scripture I read, he's living on the inside of you through the power and presence of his spirit. Look what it says in Habakkuk. I mean, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest, and they're talking about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Guess what? Jesus can sympathize with your weakness, with my weakness, because he's experienced them all. The Bible says, yet without sin. He's been tested, he's been tried just like we have, but yet he didn't sin. So this morning, are you hurting? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling rejected, abandoned? Maybe you're feeling you're, like your prayers never get above this high. Feel like God is answering everybody else's prayers but yours. Let me say, if you feel that way, you're only seeing part of the story. Could you stand to your feet this morning? There's another part. There's a bigger part. And I believe with all of my heart, God is getting all of those pieces of the puzzle together to work out the greater story. So I would say today, and I know some of you are going through some big things in your life, don't give up and quit. This isn't the time to give up and quit. This isn't the time to throw in the towel. This isn't the time to give up. This isn't the time to walk away from God. This is the time to run into His arms. This is the time to run to your Heavenly Father. God's delays are not God's denials. Do you realize that? Just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he's not going to do it. Just because you haven't seen that prayer answered doesn't mean he won't answer that prayer. Or just because you haven't seen that miracle happen doesn't mean he's not going to perform that miracle. Because I believe with all of my heart from the words of God that he's in the background working for our greater good all the time. Even when you can't sense him, when you can't feel him, when he seems a million miles away, he's right here. I don't have to pretend to have all the answers, but the one answer that I do know and I stand on by faith is that His presence means everything. His presence in our lives means everything because when you've got the presence of God in your life, guess what you've got in your life? God. You've got God in His abilities, His potential, His power to work in your life. So I want to challenge you right now with every head bowed, every eye closed. 
I want to challenge you to invite this God and His presence into your life like you've never experienced before. Some of you, maybe you've never ever experienced it. Some of you, you've experienced it on different levels. I'm just saying today, God wants to take you to another level. God wants to take you to another level of your trust, your faith, and His presence working in and through your life. Ask Him right now to step into that situation you're worried about, that you're uh, awake at night worrying about. Ask him in the morning when you wake up, God, guide my day, direct my day at lunchtime. God, show me what you want for me. Show me who you want me to minister to. Welcome his presence into your life because his presence changes everything. Father God, I thank you that your presence does change everything. I thank you for the power of your sacrifice on that cross. Lord Jesus, you allowed yourself to be forsaken so we wouldn't have to be forsaken. You allowed yourself to become sin so that we could be saved from our sin. You took our place. And you paid the penalty for our sin as you hung bleeding and dying on that cross so we could be victorious over the suffering and pain of this world. Father, give us the confidence to know that whatever we're going through, that you're with us. Help us to look past the things that we don't understand right now and help us to realize that we may only see part of the story, but you're putting together all the pieces to complete your perfect story. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence. Fill us with your supernatural presence that changes everything in our lives. I pray, Lord God, through this sermon series that our hearts would grow closer to you. As everything culminates at Easter, Lord God, let it begin to take shape in our hearts right now. To realize that you died on a cross 2,000 years ago. We celebrate Easter fresh and new every year, but you paid the price 2,000 plus years ago. So, Father God, help us to realize you've already paid the price, already given your life so that we could live a victorious life. So today, Father, guard these hearts and minds. Encourage us, Lord God, to be the people you've called us to be. Today and forever, giving you glory, praise, and honor. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, say amen with me. Amen. God bless you all. Go out and have a great week.